Welcome to Dollar Theater. This is the podcast where we review movies that we love, some of which are critically acclaimed, some maybe not so much. I think we're probably in the middle with this one. This is a relatively new movie that I think the three of us enjoyed, and I'm excited to be talking about it. Joining me for the first time since we covered Ghost last month, Corinne Foris and Jamie Payton. What's going on, my friends? Hello. Hi, Dave. All right, so let's get right into it. Last Night in Soho, 2021. This wound up being my number three movie of the year when I did my rankings for 2021. And I hadn't seen it since the theaters. Watching it again for the first time since. This is this movie's still a banger. It's just very stylish, heavily influenced by 60s culture. You can tell that the director, Edgar Wright, was a, a huge James Bond fan from all the references to those movies sprinkled in. And... This came out in October 2021, which was at a time in our country where the pandemic wasn't nearly as prominent as it was a year prior, but it was still a part of our lives. So people were still kind of apprehensive about getting to the movie theaters. And but I do remember this was kind of like a changing of the guard a little bit. The quality movies were starting to get back to the big screen. I remember I was looking at my AMC A-list logs. And within a 10-day stretch, I had seen this, uh, Dune, The French Dispatch, and Spencer. So it was it was a time where optimism was on the rise for, for movies and cinema. I, this was a, a great trailer for this movie. I remember seeing the trailer for the first time, and you see uh, Starstruck by the Kinks playing, and you see the imagery of Thomas and Mackenzie walking around 1960s London. And I probably watched this trailer like 10, 15 times. And I was super hyped for this movie. And and a lot of times you see where you get like really excited for a trailer and then the movie doesn't deliver. That was not, at least for me, that was not the case here. I love this movie when I first saw it. I love it now. This isn't my favorite Edgar Wright film that would still go to Scott Pilgrim, which I could watch any day, but this is right on par. This would probably be the silver medal for me. And yeah, I, I love this movie. Corinne, why do you? Yeah, I agree that the trailer blew my mind when I first saw it. It was just fantastic. Um, and we were pretty conservative about going out to theaters. So we weren't going to theaters yet at that point. But I was like counting the minutes until it came to streaming because I knew I wanted to watch it so badly. Um, so that was my first experience was watching it at home pretty much right after it was available. And I I just it it rocked like immediately like the music blew my mind the fashion like I just I I love love loved it and this was actually the movie that got me into Edgar Wright like I didn't I was not really aware of Edgar Wright as a filmmaker like I'd seen and enjoyed Scott Pilgrim I had um I'd seen parts of Shaun of the Dead I think at that point um, but I watched this movie and I was like this is incredible and just the way the pieces were put together I'm like I want more and so that got me into the Cornetto trilogy and then eventually Baby Driver. Like I've, I'm now like I'm on board with whatever he does next, because basically this movie hooked me so hard. Yeah. And you mentioned the soundtrack. This was this was another one that I was mm-hmm. doing the research. Like half of the soundtrack is now on my my Apple playlist. <laughs> just for sure. It was released as a double vinyl, which I just found out today, and I will be buying it. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> awesome. All right. So, Jamie, I, I found out uh, we, we talked offline a little bit. I found out that you were a first timer with this one. So I'll, I'll the floor is yours. Where did you land with this one? Yeah. I mean, so I was aware of the movie. I don't know why I, I was I did go to the theater to like when you're name dropping. But I'm like, yeah, I was definitely went to the theater. I just missed this one and then waited for it to hit streaming and just didn't get around to it, even though I scrolled by it a million times. Um, so I was excited about it. Unlike you, I had absolutely no recollection of the trailer at all. <laughs> I just knew from like, I mean, obviously some, like some sort of like horror thriller cast drew me to it, but kind of going in blind was great. Although knowing it was Edgar Wright, I was like, maybe this will be the one I'm finally contrary to you because I have seen some of his stuff. And while I don't dislike it, I'm not nearly as enamored by some, like even Scott Pilgrim that, some, you know, I know that's got a cult following and it just didn't hit for me. So I was like, okay, gonna watch this movie and can't wait to disagree with Dave. <laughs> um, and then, no, I loved it <laughs> so much. Um, had to, you know, quell any desire to be like, let's talk about the movie now. Like, you know, wanted to hold it for, for this moment. But no, it was excellent. Like, I mean, like you already said, I mean, the style, the music. And I know like, 
he's obviously having seen Baby Driver and Scott Pilgrim, all things. I knew I was coming to expect that. And that always, he's always delivered on that front. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, the performances, it all worked for me really well. So. All right. So Anya Teller-Joy, I would imagine for a lot of people, she first entered the consciousness with The Witch in 2015, which I actually did not see until last year. And but I, I really enjoyed that. The first time I saw her was in Split, which came out the following year, the M. Night Shyamalan film with James McAvoy. And I think about the year, a year later, I, Jamie, I think we've talked about this movie, but I saw Thoroughbreds in the theater. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you were and I or with that. Olivia yeah. Cook. Mm-hmm. Was that Corinne? Was that you? I've seen it. I don't, we haven't talked about it, but that was an interesting I, I saw Thoroughbreds in a theater. It was just me and one other guy. I, I think. <laughs> Maybe I was that guy. <laughs> I don't <laughs> because it was a very empty theater when I went to. It was it was an empty and it was just like I was like, does this make this movie more or less awkward? <laughs> um, but yeah, I saw that, so that was kind of like an early foray into her. And I guess where she really caught my eye, and I said to myself, "Yeah, this is a star." Was when I saw the Queen's Gambit, where she played the the chess prodigy Beth Harmon. She was nominated for an Emmy for that. And what I like about her is she's willing to try like a lot of different stuff and she's in a lot of different types of movies, some shows, and sometimes they work really well, like this movie or the Queen's Gamut. And then sometimes you get things like the new mutants, which was a big fail commercially, but she was able to brush that off and come right back with the Northmen a couple of years later. And I recently saw the menu, which was hilarious. And she was really good in that. And just this past week, she is the box office queen for the voice of Princess Peach in the Super Mario Brothers movie, which grossed $360 million. So she is someone who's arguably one of the biggest stars in the world right now. And we're going to be seeing a lot more of her in the future. And I'm glad we get to talk about her in this movie tonight. Corinne, any thoughts on Anya Taylor-Joy, either in this movie or just in general? Yeah, I mean, she was mesmerizing in this movie. Like, I couldn't take my eyes off of her every time she was on screen. Um, I think my first experience with her was The Queen's Gambit. Um, I I hadn't seen The Witch until after that. And I I know I saw Split, and I might have actually seen Split in the theater. But I wasn't, like, aware of her as a performer, really, until Queen's Gambit. And obviously that was a huge, heavy-hitting role and a lot of attention. And it was... It, it really was, again, just like mesmerizing. So I also adored the menu. I thought the menu was fantastic. Um, yeah, I'm just another one where I'm like, okay, like I if, if she's on the poster, I'm in. Like, let's check it out and see what's going on. Jamie, same question. Any any thoughts on Taylor Joy? Uh, yeah, I mean, all good. All good things. <laughs> uh, same thing. If she's on a poster, probably going to at least give it a shot. Um I, I did see The Witch. I did see Thoroughbreds. I don't think at that time I'd put together that those were the same people. <laughs> uh, but yeah, definitely Queen's Gambit, I think, was when you're like, oh, okay. Like, yeah, I'm on board. Yeah, great show. So we have, I don't know if you consider it the sporting cast in this, but there are other people in this movie other than Andy Taylor-Joyce. <laughs> we'll start with Thomas and McKenzie, who the first time I noticed her was Jojo Rabbit. And like Taylor Joy, also a, a veteran of M. Night Shyamalan films. She was an old, which I saw last year, which I, I enjoyed. And like Joy, she start, she tries like a lot of different things. There's a movie coming out later in the year called Eileen, which, where she's going to be opposite Anne Hathaway. And this is catching a lot of buzz coming out of Sundance. So I, this could be kind of, if this wasn't it for her as like her big star turn, we could see a lot of her later in the year. Uh, Matt Smith, first time I noticed him was as the young Prince Philip in the early seasons of The Crown. And I would imagine a lot of people know him as Damon Targaryen in House of the Dragon now. Speaking of people from the GOT universe, Diana Rigg is in this, who I'd imagine for people slightly older than us know her as as a Bond girl from, from the 60s. We talked about the James Bond references here, but I guess for us and like a lot of people around our, our age range, uh, she's known as Lady Olena from Game of Thrones. Tell Cersei, I want her to know is May. That's just banger line there. Mm-hmm. Terrence <laughs> Stamp is here, the legend. 99 IMDb credits. I don't know if I'm throwing out like a weird reference that nobody's going to get. But for me, he's always going to be General Zod from the Chris Reeves <laughs> Superman films. And he was also in this, I'm going to throw out like another obscure reference here. He was in this Steven Soderbergh joint that I really liked called The Limey from 1999. 
Steven Soderbergh, director of Ocean's Eleven, which we recently covered. And it's just, he just plays a guy out for revenge after to avenge his daughter's death. And he's the star of it. And it's really good. Kind of like an under-the-radar film. Corinne, anybody outside of Taylor Joy stand out for you in the film? Yeah, I definitely remember when I saw Jojo Rabbit, which I did see in theaters, that she was she in a in a movie with a lot of things going on to attend to. Yeah. <laughs> she was still captivating to watch, which I thought was cool. And so she definitely caught my eye in that one. Um, I was about to say that this that this movie that Last Night in Soho and Jojo Rabbit were the only two, but you mentioned Old, which I'm like, oh yeah, I did watch that. So yeah. it was fine. It was good. Yeah. Um, it was it was it was it was not time wasted. Um, <laughs> I, Matt Smith is interesting to me because he's one of those people who I feel like is always in the zeitgeist, but I don't watch the stuff he's in. <laughs> so okay. like, I don't watch The Crown. I don't watch Doctor Who. I, was he Was he in um, Downton Abbey too? Was that him or is that somebody else I'm thinking it's of? It's possible. Yeah. And then, um, but yes, I definitely did watch House of the Dragon and he was great in that. So that was interesting. Um, I have a special place in my heart for Diana Rigg because my dad is super into the old Avengers TV show, the, okay. the spy show from the sixties, which was really what she was most famous for, I think. Cause her, I mean, she was definitely a Bond girl. I, I from what I understand, it was not the best Bond movie. On um, Her Majesty's Secret Service. Yeah. It was like one of the lesser Bonds. I feel yeah. like, like it was, I, it wasn't any, it wasn't Ro- Roger Dalton. It was, wasn't Sean I forgot Con- the guy's name who it was. And yeah. Somebody yeah. anyway. Um, but yeah, my dad was like so into that show. So even when I was a kid, we would watch it on different like weird channels that my dad would get through the big antenna that would show like old 60s shows. Um, so I, I, I knew her as Mrs. Peel. Um, and then when she popped up in Game of Thrones, um, that was exciting because for one thing, the character was amazing. But I also was like, Dad, Dad, it's Mrs. Peel. <laughs> She's in <laughs> Game of Thrones. Um, and so that was a lot of fun. And And she was she was so good in this in this film like just really really a lot of work especially when you learn that you know she passed away very shortly after filming and mm-hmm. she was she was in her last days making this movie and it, doing a lot of physical stuff and doing some really heavy hitting acting and and it's incredible so I, I what a way to go out honestly for sure Jamie how about you anybody outside of Taylor Joy stand up yeah so I mean like I said I really barely recalled the trailer I know I saw it but when watching the movie, first off, Thomason, I 100% was like, sure, that's not um, Abigail Breslin. Like, <laughs> I like, checked like three times. I'm like, I really, no, okay, it's not her. Um, but she does, a, she does a lot of heavy lifting. So I almost, yeah. a bit unfair to be like, this is an Anya Taylor-Joy vehicle only. And it's like, okay, yeah. like, she's propelling the movie forward. Um, so yeah, that she really stood out for me. And then Diana Rigg, obviously, because legend and also just the turn that she gets to have in the movie. Um, everyone else, I mean, there's also just a lot of really, for as good as like the core cast is, there's also just a lot of paint by number characters. Yeah. Like her friend, John, who has... We don't know why he's in fashion school. We don't know anything else about him. I'm questioning why uh, Ellie is into him, like romantically. <laughs> it's because uh, he's the only person who's not a straight up dick to her. Or, like everybody yeah. else at that school is Better so terrible. question. Why is he just so okay with the way she acts? Like, yeah. Um, her room. Roommate- and then he gets stabbed and he's like front row at her fashion style. Like, maybe I need to distance myself. Well, or even just the whole icy ghost, and he's like, "Oh, my aunt does too. It's cool." <laughs> really, this is, this is an Edgar Wright thing. I'm thinking now because, like, we were just talking about Baby Driver and how it it was like, yeah, yeah sure, let's go. Let, let me hop on this on board with your crazy, awful life. Like, I'm in immediately. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know you're wanted, and I just tell you to kill some people, but I will 100% leave this life behind for you, and then also wait the 25 years you're in prison to, to meet up. <laughs> Our relationship's been three weeks long. Um, <laughs> yeah, so obviously there's some skipping ahead of some things, but I mean, even the roommate, obviously, the little roommate trio, which I do love that they're dressed like the craft um, yeah. party. But yeah, I mean, even they're just, you know, you could not write a more obvious sort of mean girl um, situation. What was her name? Jacosta? Jacosta. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I think, I think there's a pretty large margin of like the characters that matter and people just filling up space. Right. I, yeah, I I agree with that a million percent. Okay. On that note, we're going to take a quick break and then we will go into our favorite scenes. 
We are back. Favorite scenes. So I listed six here. I'll, I'll run these down and we'll decide where we want to go. So I have the first appearance of Sandy. This is where she shows up in the mirror. Uh, the first appearance of Jack, Matt Smith's character. Uh, Sandy's audition where she sings downtown. The, the Halloween party that Ellie goes to. Uh, the Miss Collins reveal where we find out that she's Sandy or Alex, and then the end scene, Ellie's, Ellie's fashion show, and the end mirror scene. Corinne, where would you like to lead off? I think I want to start with Anya Taylor-Joy's first appearance. Because okay. That was what, that was my first, like, woof, like that, like, it, it was intense, that first scene. Just everything from the dress to the appearance to the, the dancing, and, like, everything about it was just mesmerizing. Um, and I think that was where it, I, it hit me like, oh, this is a movie that I'm not going to want to take my eyes away from. Like, I'm not going to be on my phone. I'm not going to be like doing other stuff. I'm going to sit here and, and pay attention to what's happening here. Cause it was, it was really, it was impressive. <laughs> we talked about the soundtrack. You're my world by Silla black is playing. Mm -hmm. It's just like great, great music choices in this film. And yeah, we're, we're off the, you know, it was kind of this generic in the beginning. We see Ellie, she's just going to London. It's like fish out of water. And this, when we see Anya Taylor-Joy, Sandy show up in the mirror for the first time, we're like, all right, let, let's go. J yeah. Jamie, what'd you think of the scene? Yeah, I mean, like you said, it's sort of like paint by the numbers movie in the beginning. And I weirdly was like, I'm okay with this. Like I knew more was coming, but I'm like, all right, yeah, I'll watch her go to college. Let's yeah. see. <laughs> um, but then, yeah, it's like you take the dial up to 11 and you're just like, wow. Especially like when they walk down the stairs with the mirror, although I know they filmed it practically. Mm -hmm. um, it's just like, okay, we are now entering a whole different world. And Corinne, to your point, like, it's like, all right, phone down because <laughs> the music's working for you. There's so much visually going on. It's gorgeous to look at. Uh, I know there were so many Easter eggs and little details that I 100% missed because... <laughs> I just don't catch them all. Um, but yeah, it was like, okay, the movie has now really started. Sure. Yeah. The first appearance of Jack, Matt Smith. I know he turns out to be a huge piece of shit, but <laughs> his his emergence into this movie was was dope as hell. And yeah. we, we asks her, how's your, where he meets Sandy for the first time. And he says, how's your dancing? And she says, care for a demonstration. Like, yeah, these are these are movie stars just cooking right here. And this dance scene where, you know, he, he spins Taylor Joy around and it comes back and it's Thomas and Mackenzie. A lot of this was was done. Actually, I thought this was like an editing trick, but mm -hmm. they, they talked about this and it was choreographed to where Joy steps out really quick and Mackenzie comes in and the awesome scene. Mm -hmm. I, I love this. This is just it made me think of not quite as impactful, but I did think when you see uh, Taylor Joy and Matt Smith dancing together, did make me think of John Travolta and Uma Thurman. Not mm -hmm. quite as impactful, but it did give me some of those vibes. Jamie, what'd you think of that scene? So my brain weirdly, when he was like, do you care to demonstrate, went to um, Save the Last Dance. <laughs> <laughs> so, I know it was a much better scene than that, but in my mind, I was already like cracking up at my own jokes. So <laughs> <laughs> the level of sophistication and grandiose moment that happened, my brain ruined for me. So <laughs> that's where I was at, to be honest. <laughs> I hope they all get in the Juilliard. Yeah. <laughs> I'm such a sucker for practical effects that like, I love that stuff. I just think it's so fun to see how they do it and to wonder and, think about the editing and all of the minutiae of that. I think it's fascinating. And, and so, yeah, that was a lot of fun to watch. All right. So Sandy's audition here where she sings downtown, this is a really brief scene and you know, there's not too much to talk about here other than I just thought it was really cool that this is actually Anya Taylor joy singing mm -hmm. and it's not, not a voiceover. So that was, I just had it in my notes for that reason. Okay. So the last three I have written down here, the Halloween party, the Miss Collins reveal, and Ellie's fashion show. That's the very end of the movie. I do either of you have anything you want to hit on, or we could just rattle those three off. I mean, I think I probably have more to say about the ending than the Halloween party. Like I enjoyed it, but I okay. you have a lot of thoughts on that. All right. So we can just go chronologically then. I mean, so is the Halloween party next then? I believe so, yeah, unless you had something else. No, I I wanted to talk about the Halloween party. Okay. So this <laughs> you do is it. <laughs> 
so we have like the first the first hour of this movie it's just this basically this we talked about the other scenes this is a very stylish film and you're just kind of like mesmerized by the soundtrack and the cool clothes everybody's wearing the dancing and the imagery and then the last half it kind of becomes like your more traditional horror movie and that kind of kicks off with this scene where they're at this halloween party and this is present day ellie is dancing the song uh I'm going to mispronounce this, but Shushi and the Banshees, uh, Happy House. This was another one that I is currently was playing for me at the gym today. <laughs> and, you know, she's dancing and she's with her friends. And then she sees all these zombie old men just throughout. She sees uh, Sandy and Annie Taylor Joy dancing, Jack smoking a cigarette in the mirror. And this is where we're kind of fully into a horror movie for the last hour. And I thought that's just a really cool scene because like the other scenes, the music choices and the dancing, everything's very stylish. So, Jamie said, you have thoughts on the Halloween party? Yeah. I mean, so like I mentioned before, the roommate, the ex roommate and their little trio is dressed like the craft. And then there were some other little Easter egg Halloween costumes. Like, I mean, who doesn't love a good Halloween party to clock what everyone's wearing? Yeah. But yeah, I really, well, okay. Just gotta like, girl, what are you doing with your drinks? Like, <laughs> She accepts one from her frenemy. Yeah. Which I don't even think I should use the word friend in there. It's just a straight up enemy. Yeah. yeah. That's like the third time in this movie she does not clock her drink. Like, you know, like maybe yeah. her grandma was wise to worry about her going to London. <laughs> like, use some common sense. Also, look before you cross the street. She almost uh, got hit by a car like four times. I know. <laughs> and I was thinking, and that's how Regina George died. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the whole time. But no, to go back to the Halloween party, drink aside, um, I just absolutely loved the way they sort of portrayed that horror sequence of her seeing the ghost now. Because to me, it reminded me, so in Seaside Heights, they're pre-Sandy, and I think there's it's back on the boardwalk now, there is a scrambler ride. Um, but it's indoors. And when the music is blaring and the scrambler's going, everything, so I called that scene the scrambler ride effect because it's just that like flash of light of things that you see coming at you and then disappearing and you're not sure what's there, what's not, because you don't get to stay in one place long enough. And I just, it's like a, I just thought it really did a great job of like showing sort of the disorientation of where she's at. Can she see, like, can she believe what she's seeing? Um, also, I think it's a cautionary tale. Maybe don't dress up with what you're having visions of. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I just, I thought that scene was extremely effective for the effects to put us in her shoes of like yeah oh no corinne did you have any thoughts on that that scene the halloween party yeah i so one thing i read online that was kind of fun was um a lot of the extras in that scene were from the fashion institute and they were had brought their own costumes so they had they there was some friendly competition among the students from the the fashion school to get those cool costumes going and they brought a lot of their own stuff so i thought that was kind of cool um I, my notes in this part, I just have men are straight garbage. <laughs> <laughs> but it was kind of leading into, because at that point, that's really, you know, what they're focused on. And, and and it's, that thesis holds true, even after we find out the twist, like, they're still garbage. So, well, um, to your yeah. point, I think, like, pre-twist, I'm like, okay, this entire thesis is men is garbage. I'm okay with that, but that's not really original. Right. And right. I'm, like, waiting to be, like kind of blown away so I'm like yeah okay yep grandma was right London's, yeah. London's bad well so, I hate this and... watched fresh too so I'm like I I'm not it was not a good week for men in film in my house so <laughs> I just I was at a point where I'm just like by the time you find out what happens I'm like yeah get them so <laughs> yeah. this is the point but <laughs> Anyway, it was definitely it was it was a fun scene to watch and I, I liked I want to watch that one again soon because I've only seen this movie twice now um, and I definitely want to watch it again and pay more attention to the costumes and the detailing and just those scene changes and all that because it was really cool in that part. So the Miss Collins reveal I kind of I guessed this like maybe like midway through the movie the scene where she's with John and he comes and k- kicks her kicks him out of the house I kind of started to get the vibes a little bit that you know, she's dreaming about this girl in this house that belongs to this lady. It's possible that she's her grown up. We, it's like suggested that Jack killed her in one of the dreams, but we don't actually see that. So I had kind of clocked this. I don't love it when I'm able to predict the twist, but I, I kind of did here, but it still it didn't really have any super impact when this is kind of 
we, we talked about Lady Olena in Game of Thrones where, you know, Jamie gives her the poison and she's like, oh, I'd hate to go out like your son did. And like, you know what she's going to say to him. And in this scene, she's like, she says, oh, a cop came to the house earlier and you know where this is going. Same, like, you know, it's obviously the same actress, same tone and you know where this is going. And she talks about like a girl did die, I suppose. And it was like the young May and you're like, oh shit, okay. And then they show this montage of her killing all these old guys. And it's just really great scene here. And I love how when she's trying to kill Ellie, they juxtapose, they go from Diana Rigg and I just fall on Anya Taylor-Joy and they go back and forth. And just the image of Anya Taylor-Joy sitting on the bed as the house is burning down, that's like that's like that's seeped in my mind it's really good imagery here i enjoyed the scene the, the twist was even though like i just said I, I kind of guessed it a little bit before it happened but i still the execution of it i thought was really good corinne would would you think of the the twist ending i was trying to remember the first time i watched it if i if i did see that coming i feel like i i had sort of anticipated that she might be sandy but not the whole she's a murderer kind of angle right um, and even when I was watching the scene where um, uh, where Thompson McKenzie is looking up all of this, the news stories, and it's like, man disappeared, man died, man disappeared, man died. And I'm like, well, those aren't the article, which is so stupid. Like, I feel like I'm just like <laughs> weird that that's all she can find. And then later on, it's like, oh, duh, okay, that's why that was happening. Um, but yeah, I just, again, from from a perspective of knowing this was her last role and everything, like, it was such a cool scene that the, the way it was shot was amazing. Her ability to tell that story in a way that, that makes her a clear villain. Like there's no, there's no question that like, this is a dark person capable of dark things, even though you know why she did it. And, and there's, there's some justification there, but, but she's still a good villain. And I, I liked that. And especially in her, the, you know, you know, how she turns on those two kids and like just wants to to protect herself more than anything. And then she gets a little redemption arc at the end where she sends them out and, and stays. And I, I just, it, it was a good ending for the character. It was a good ending for the actress and, and just everything worked. Same question, Jamie. What did you think of this list? Yeah, so I didn't clock her immediately. I mean, when the mail arrived, I knew something was spe- like going on, but I was not able to either read the screen fast enough or see it. Um, and, you know, it's, it's like everyone, like the village, when they're like, oh, yeah, if you just read the gravestone to be, I'm like, I am not like, my vision is not that great. Thank you very much. So, yeah, I was, but for me, the bigger tip that something weird was happening was when she said that phone only works for emergency calls. That was like the checkoff gun for me. I didn't connect it that she was connected, but I was like, okay, this is gonna, although she ultimately doesn't make a call out. So I guess it really wasn't, but I was like, <laughs> something's gonna happen. <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, it worked for me. I even wrote, go Sandy, fuck yeah. So, <laughs> um, I mean, yes, technically she's a villain. Technically she was trying to murder our completely innocent protagonist and her friend John, who we know nothing about. (laughs) But um, I still was rooting for her. So yeah, (laughs) very effective. And kudos to Diana Rigg for being like, I mean, basically this was like an action role in her last. Yeah. Yeah. So good on her. Went out on top. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the actual ending of this movie, we get Ellie's fashion show here. As bleak as this movie is at times, we actually do get a happy ending here with her living out her dream as a fashion designer. We see her show is, is pretty successful or grandma and I guess her boyfriend, John, for some reason, who's her boyfriend. Uh, yeah, <laughs> just still, still a little, you know, I have questions. Trauma bonding. <laughs> <laughs> They're there to cheer her on and just very stylish ending here. We see, she sees her mother in the mirror and then she sees Sandy who blows her a kiss and the movie just ends with the, touching of the mirror and the title screen bang banger of a film great ending i I loved it it was semi i told we're talking about the pandemic it was like semi it was like half full and everybody was was very pleased with that i was in the theater with and i was one of those people jamie what'd you think of the very end the very end of the movie i mean part of me was like how is this girl still in school (laughs) have a job because like I mean, if you think about the Halloween party and assuming it works on a similar calendar that we have in the U.S., like, it's only been a couple, like, two months and she has been <laughs> so flaky. 
clearly is having a mental breakdown and requires help, and yet she still puts together a complete, like, fashion line to be able to walk in this, like, end-of-semester show. And <laughs> so, I mean, I guess good on her for balancing life and sure. all life is throwing at her. Um, yeah, I mean, the mirror part, thankfully... I think is kind of what saved it. Cause for me, I'm like, I don't need this like little sweet wrap up. I thought when like she was in the ambulance and it was closed, I was like, Oh, okay, cool. We're done. And I was like, Oh, all right. Project runway is back. Like basically it's, it's her Juilliard uh, audition from, you know. <laughs> and she attacked Jocasta with scissors. And that was, she was, she was calling, she was going to security and that was never resolved really. No. So I have questions about that as well. Well, apparently but. they hug in that scene and they had to refilm it or they reshot it or something because they were like, yeah, they wasn't going to buy that. Like they've somehow patched up like you know, the attempted that, murder. Yeah. Not, well, and also she was a terrible person to her. She was. They don't need to be friends. Right. Poor, poor Jocasta. Or not. <laughs> <laughs> Corinne, what'd you think of the ending? I have no love in my heart for Jocasta. Um, <laughs> I agree. I don't, I don't know that I loved that it was a, a neat little bow, but you're right. The mirror part helped. I think, I mean, what I took away from that is that now she's sort of embracing the ghosts as opposed to running from them, which is kind of cool. And that, that shows some growth in her as a person of like it, it, synthesizing this past that, that she is relating to that she's never experienced and, and, making that part of who she is without it being something to be afraid of. Um, I read something about the writer and Edgar Wright having conversations about how people are obsessed with the time period that they just missed. And I liked that. I thought that was interesting. Like I, I was very much a kid who was super, super into the sixties. Like that was my vibe. That was the fashion I was into the music I was into. Like the music in this film, I was listening to those songs as a child, like that Peter and Gordon song that plays over the beginning scene. Like I used to sing that song because my dad had a Lennon and McCartney songbook and they had written that one. And so like, it, this was very much my life. And I, I feel like I related to that a lot in the writing of this movie and how they, she romanticized this time period and then got a very clear picture of how it wasn't as great as she thought it was for a lot of reasons. Um, so it was interesting, I think, like when you look at it through that lens, like her being able to be herself in the present to kind of figure out how she feels about her mom and also bring the whole Sandy element into it. That to me was what made it a more meaningful ending, um, more so than the the fashion show, which I could have taken or left. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So we're all pleased with this movie from start to finish. It was joy to watch, joy to talk about. According to the internet, so I usually do the casting almost as real. There really weren't any, at least not that I could find, other than Thomason McKenzie dropped out of a role in Top Gun Maverick to be in this movie. And I'm glad that worked out because I think both movies worked out pretty well. I don't know if this movie is as successful without without her being our kind of POV character. I, I'm glad this happened. Did either of you see Top Gun Maverick? Mm-hmm. I fell asleep during it like two okay, nights ago. Fair. So I saw the first half. I we were I was trying to figure out what role she would have been. I'm thinking maybe Jennifer Connelly's daughter. Is that that's maybe that's what I can movie? guess? Or there was one other girl in the movie. That, there was um, one female pilot. I was thinking maybe that would be her. Yeah. Her, though. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, I there I, were three females in the film, and she wouldn't have been Jennifer Connelly. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's um. It was fine. I I I didn't dislike it. I just watched it too late at night. <laughs> so. Okay. Fair. <laughs> all right, but I'm glad it worked out. I think I, all the film. Well, both films worked out well, and I'm glad she was in this. Yeah. Anya Taylor-Joy is caught the eye of George Miller, director who was impressed with her performance in this film and put her in Mad Max Furiosa, which I think is coming out next year, which whenever it comes out, I'll be there. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so that that's, uh, that's a cool one there. Corinne, you said you had something? Yeah, I have a couple. I, I one that I really want to talk about, but I just forgot about one that I thought was kind of fun. Um, the the last night in Soho song. Um, I found that that Quentin Tarantino and Edgar Wright had had a conversation, and Quentin Tarantino told him that last night in Soho was the best title music for a film that had never been made. Really? And that, that's what this turned into because it had a different. Um, it had a couple of different titles that they had run through, and that this is where they landed. So I thought that was kind of cool. Um. But the weird little internet rabbit hole that I went down, 
um, when I was looking up Diana Rigg, because I, I wanted to, to find out more about her filmography and just all of that, they also mentioned that it was the last film appearance of an actress named Margaret Nolan. Mm-hmm. Um, I started looking up Margaret Nolan and she played the, um, the I don't know if she's a manager or a bartender, but she was basically Ellie's boss at the bar. Yep. Um, and she had a really great speech. Like she wasn't in this a lot, but she had this really cool little monologue about the pub absorbing the joy of the people who had been there. Do you guys remember that part? Yep. Mm-hmm. I loved that. I was like, that's so cool when you think about the energy of places and, and someplace that's been around a long time. Um, and I think that was a lot of the thesis of the movie too, other than men are trash, is <laughs> that the places that you're in absorb the energy of the things that happen there. And and whether or not you believe that, it's it's an interesting framework for a film. So So she got this really cool kind of scene. So I went and looked her up. And she was mainly a model. Um, she was also a Bond girl. She was in Goldfinger. Um, but what I loved is she was in um, she was in the Beatles movie, A Hard Day's Night. And so I happened to be with my dad today, who, as aforementioned, big 60s British invasion guy. Um, and I was like, Dad, I'm like, who is this actress? Who was she in A Hard Day's Night? And so I showed him the picture. And he's like, oh, my gosh. He's like, she hardly, I don't think she had any lines. If she had a line, she had one. Her whole job was to wear a low-cut dress, sit, sit next to the guy that played Paul McCartney's grandfather, and he made a comment to her that was, you must be very good at swimming. And that was her whole part in the Hard Day's Night. And it was hilarious because my dad was like, oh, yeah, I know immediately who that is. <laughs> I'm like, that's creepy, but okay. Um, but it was interesting because she, you know, so so I thought it was cool that you mentioned all of the Bond um, send-ups and, and references I think it was kind of cool that that they pulled these two, not only Bond girls, but also just really iconic mod 60s kind of British figures um, to pull into this movie and ended up being both of their last roles. And yeah. what a great swan song for both, honestly. Totally agree. Yeah. Jamie, you said you had someone? Yeah. So I know earlier you talked about the practicality of the dancing sequence with the really tight choreography and camera work to be able to swap them out in and out instead of making it like some sort of magic um the scene where eloise sees sandy through the mirror and comes down i guess i don't maybe it's right before they come down the stairs that was also done practically by you the cloakroom attendant is actually played by james phelps and oliver phelps aka the harry potter weasley twins okay um, I do love that, that they would, you know, show up and just be like, oh, we'll just clearly find twins. That's an easier solution <laughs> to making this duality um, instead of a mirror trick. So I thought that was a pretty nifty um, workaround. And I know the, uh, the, young, the young version of Terrence Stamp, who I forget his name. It, it, he's, a, he's on the cast list as Silver Haired Gentleman. That's Terrence Stamp's name in the movie. But the young version was Sam Claffin, who I don't know if either of you are watching Daisy Jones in the Six, no. but it, the lead, the lead singer, the, the much shorter hair. So it, like the face is definitely, I had to look at it. I had to pause. Yeah. Like, that's definitely his face. I'm not too familiar with him other than this and Daisy Jones in the Six, but the same, same guy there. Right. Okay. I have uh, two, yeah, two more, just kind of just anecdotal ones. The end credits where they're showing the streets of London, just those those images, those images are empty because London was this was these were filmed during the pandemic and England was in a national lockdown because of COVID. So those were those were some cool shots in treacherous times that they otherwise would have had to pay a lot of money, a lot of money. To yeah, close exactly. <laughs> I think of. Uh, Vanilla Sky. I don't know if you saw that, but they have the one sequence where Times Square is completely empty. And yeah. I just think of like the logistics to, to make that happen. This was a one to, yeah, the, the, that must have cost a pretty penny to get Tom Cruise walking around empty, empty Times Square. Original name for this movie was Red Light Area, which I, I, I would assume is the Red Light District in, in Amsterdam. It, you know, six in one hand, half a dozen in the other. I, I would have seen this regardless of what it was called. And I think that's all the internet stuff I have. All right, I got a trivia question. This is uh, an Edgar Wright themed one. In addition to all the films he has directed, he has also directed a couple of music videos. Which of these famous 90s bands did he direct a music video for? Was it The Offspring, Beck, Puddle of Mud, The Presidents of the United States of America, or no doubt. Jamie, what, what do you think? 
I want it to be peaches. Um, <laughs> don't think it's. A, I'm gonna say Beck. It, I mean, it's probably a trick question. Beck feels like the most that would be in tune with his style. I hope it's Puddle of Mud or Presidents of the United States. <laughs> I'm gonna go with Beck. I just in doing the research, I was like, what are some like obscure '90s bands? I was like, wow, I remember I had a Puddle of Mud CD in like yeah. 2001. <laughs> Nice. I was on Wikipedia before this, obviously, and like just scrolled by the music video credits. Yeah. Now I wish I looked closer. So I <laughs> but now I don't. Corinne, what do you think? I'm between The Offspring and No Doubt, and I think I'm going to go The Offspring. Okay. Jamie, you got it. It was Beck. <laughs> um, for the video color, like, oh, which God. I watched, this was, this was actually, he did this in 2018. So he did a Beck still doing their thing. Uh, Allison Brie was in this video. Pretty oh. good music video. I, I watched it earlier. I don't know where you can watch music videos other than YouTube. YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because there's no there's MTV doesn't play music videos. Yeah. Daily motion. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was it was a good video. I recommend checking it out. And the song, I was listening to the song. I was like, I've heard the song. I had no idea Beck sung it. Hmm. All right. Awards time. Sixth man, or in this case, sixth woman, which which is where I went. Uh, we talked we talked about her uh we gave her her flowers maybe i'll give her like a couple more here diana rig as in in this role we you know for like five years i was rooting for house tyrell because <laughs> because of her role on game of thrones and then i was even though she, she had her moment where she went she went heel she was trying to kill ellie but i, I was still never really fully rooting against her I, she went through a lot and she was really good in this role and we talked about this being her final role great great swan song for her as as an actor so I went with, with Diana Rigg as my sixth woman of of the movie Corinne which way did you go with this? Same I, okay. I, I couldn't I couldn't go another way I'm sorry I know that's not as fun for the poll no that's fine yeah I, I mean that one I went actually back and forth on MVP but sixth man was, was in my head no okay. yeah alright Jamie yeah, I mean, sorry, making this unanimous. But, no, that's fine. Uh, she's great. She was able to do that sort of heel turn into to villain mode. But I also found it really hilarious when she was like, this is London. Someone's died in every room and every building, this whole city, <laughs> every corner too. Um, so, yeah. That would have set my radar up. Uh, like, I'm, I'm, like, I'm asking you specifically. It's like, people die all the time. Like, no, no, I'm asking if someone's died in this actual, <laughs> right. this actual well, house. Yeah. I mean, yes, the, the exactly. answer is a misdirect to her direct question but i was thinking when she started to see like all these ghosts that i'm like london is a much much older city than like much of the united states so the chances of you finding a ghost in a room in a house like is probably pretty high i i would imagine (laughs) yeah (laughs) all right so we're unanimous on the sixth woman mvp this i guess this was a three-horse race or maybe two i would imagine the candidates would be Anya Taylor-Joy, Thomas and McKenzie, or Matt Smith. I went with Thomas and McKenzie. I think this, for the reasons being that Anya Taylor-Joy has an Emmy nomination for The Queen's Gambit. Uh, she's been in a lot, a lot of other things, and her star is very much on the rise. I don't know. This kind of just kept pushing her up the ladder, but I don't know if it's like the thing for her. I think this is probably at the moment the thing for Thomas and McKenzie, when you when you think of her filmography, we did I did mention that movie Eileen that's coming out later in the year, which could uh, es- elevate her even higher. But this was I think this was kind of like her star turn, and I I really like her as Ellie, our our point of view character. So that was my choice for those reasons. I went with uh, Thomas and McKenzie as Ellie for my MVP of the movie. Jamie, how about you? Okay, I thought I would be like kind of in the minority <laughs> kind of between you know because like you said this is like an Anya Tyler Joy vehicle and it's like all right I'm like ah. she like you said she she's doing a million things I don't think this is gonna be her most notable role or this already is not her most notable role I should say um what she's asked to do she does it phenomenally but I do think Thomas and Mackenzie has to do so much more because someone going crazy is like a much I feel like harder task than killing some dudes because <laughs> I mean Dave maybe you have not felt this way but I feel like most women are like yeah girl like <laughs> not, not even acting um reasonable yeah. he had it coming <laughs> yeah I mean like the like the song says he had it yep. coming 
Um, so yeah, I, I have to give it to Thomas and Mackenzie for just slow this going from Abigail Breslin to <laughs> Taylor Momsen from Gossip Girl in her pretty reckless days. <laughs> All right, Corinne, are you gonna break? Are you gonna break the tie? Or are you gonna? I make it interesting this time. I would have up until like four hours ago, I was going Thomas and Mackenzie, and then as I started thinking more about the scenes and like what are the things that stuck with me and what do I want to talk about tonight, like I just kept thinking about the Anya Taylor Joy scenes, and I was like, I can't help it. I I totally agree from the perspective of like this movie being a more of a footnote in her career. But in the movie itself, like if I'm if I'm looking at it from that lens, like who who am I thinking about when I'm done watching this movie? It, it's it's her. And so I think that because she was so, so captivating in the role and the presence, even when she wasn't speaking, just her everything about her, the look, the hair, the clothes, the the singing, the dancing, like it was just so much going on. And I I think for that reason, she was the most salient character for me and and takes mvp okay so we got it we got it. we got a poll we don't have a six woman poll but we got an mvp poll so that'll be fun corinne what's something good you watch this week so um i well i did go see john wick four i'm a little okay nice time enjoyed it very much um i will continue to regale everyone on my journey of corinne watches movies everyone else saw 40 years ago <laughs> and i will tell you that last night for the first time ever i watched overboard with okay. and goldie Hawn, um which was intensely problematic and yet so enjoyable <laughs> and so I sat there the whole time being like, ooh, I shouldn't like this, and also really enjoying every minute of it. So um, so that was a ton of fun. I'm I'm checking off those boxes. I'm working through the list, the uh the whole panoply of of movies through the ages. I'm working my way through. You're doing good though. You I'm trying. I really I you know what? When we're doing the when we were doing the bracket for movies in the Facebook group, I'm like, okay, I've actually seen most of these. Like Action and horror were my two total blind spots. And I've seen, I think, all but one or two on each of those lists this time. So I'm very cool. proud of it. All right. Well, I know. We, we keep, through these podcasts, uh, adding ghost <laughs> movies to our repertoire. <laughs> I know. It's so funny. Like, of all the things, like, although we started with the teen rom-coms, so we, yeah. we had to diversify. Well, now, um, then, now we're in college. That's so. true. Yes. We're moving, up, we're moving up. Yep. Yep. We need to do, like, the big chill or something that's, like, that post-college kind of <laughs> Um, and then I want to recommend a show that's fun, that's different. Um, on Apple, which is always my go-to lately for series, I I feel like they never miss. Um, there is a show called The Big Door Prize. Um, it's featuring Chris O'Dowd um, and a bunch of people. Um, the I don't know the guy's name, but the guy who played Noel on Frasier has a fun little role. So um, basically, the premise is that it's this small town and this machine shows up in the general store that gives people a little card that tells them like their purpose or their destiny or like their true self basically and so everybody gets these little cards and so it'll say they're all over the place one says royalty one says um i'm trying to like hero like some of them are, are vague some of them are really specific um and all of these people through getting these cards it starts affecting how they view themselves and how they interact with other people in the town and it kind of changes their life trajectory uh, in the story and no one knows where this machine came from or what happened or how it showed up but it is it's it's this fun little mystery with a lot of really funny human interaction dynamics and and it's a it's a good watch it's half hour episodes which is something I enjoy <laughs> when yeah. I'm, I'm a busy person <laughs> without a lot of time um, and it's a it's a fun watch. So it's still it's still ongoing. So like everything on Apple, it airs like nine o'clock on Thursday nights at Eastern time. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, check it out. It's a good one. I've seen the first two. I'm, I'm oh. enjoying it as well. You thought it was you like it? Is it? Yeah. Holding yeah. your <laughs> Definitely. Definitely going to stick with it. Be, half hour episodes. I, I, I could throw those throw those on uh, between things. Sure. Jamie, how about you? What's something good you watch this week? <laughs> I just have to add that I love that Apple just drops stuff. They're like, oh, it comes out on Wednesdays, a.k.a. Tuesday at 9. And you're like... Ted Lasso will be on yeah. when Ted, I finish editing as, this. Yeah, as soon as we <laughs> hang up. Well, it's on now. Actually, yeah. it might be on. Now that I think about it, it might be a Tuesday night show, actually. So check and see. There might be a new Possible. One. But it's like, thank you for not... Thank you for knowing we're not sample 3 a.m. for this. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate you, Apple. 
but no, okay, so I have two TV recommendations uh, that I recently just finished. Um, both are from, both are imports. So if you want to continue to live outside of the United States world of storytelling, um, I have Hulu's Extraordinary or Extraordinary. The jury is out on how to pronounce it. It's still spelled the same way. I'm sure you can find it. It's on Hulu. It's from the UK. Um, basically, it's a comedy. It's like eight episodes. So really fast, short-term commitment. Uh, basically, in the world of the show, everyone has superpowers. So it's just, it's not like there aren't people really going around heroing so much as just your power kind of helps you choose a career path that you are best suited for. Like one guy literally blows helium. So he works at a party store, um, kind of things like that. It becomes really mundane. But basically the main character is 25 and still has not received her power yet, which is very rare. And so she's trying to live this life of not being powered. But then there's obviously a whole bunch of other, like her best friend and some other flatmate and some other characters. So it's a good time. It's already been renewed for a second season. So oh. uh, don't, you know, feel like you've committed to... Uh, a quick axe uh, <laughs> and then the other show comes from australia and that's on prime and it's called class of 07 i've and heard of this this mm -hmm. is so good it's um i guess it's sort of i don't know it's called apocalyptic but basically and this happens with it's part of like the trailer so i'm not spoiling anything basically there is like this large sort of environmental event that leaves these girls who were at a 10-year high school reunion it's an all-girls school um kind of stranded basically like whatever environmental event happens they are now an island because the school was atop a hill and there's just water for all you can see and um yeah sort of turns survival and it's both hilarious and actually really dark like even in the first or second episode you're like oh okay we're going there like while they're also there's an entire episode dedicated to learning the lyrics to bare naked ladies one week <laughs> meanwhile there's also some real dark shit going down so <laughs> i really enjoy that um balance that that show brings all right cool i i this is it keeps popping up on my suggestions whenever i log on amazon it was like if you like this you'd like this and it, it's it's there it's screaming to me like watch me so that's it would fill the yellow jackets void in my life and the days in between episodes of yellow yeah. jackets <laughs> i mean it's not well it's a different take than yellow jackets but i don't want to okay not, i won't i won't make you say anything i'm just saying I, i'm not <laughs> i'm not taking cannibalism off the table for you that's all okay. I'm, not, I'm, I'm not like in it for the cannibalism to be clear <laughs> no that really speaks to me it's i, mean, <laughs> I relate it was fine. It would have been better with cannibalism, but <laughs> yeah. All right. That was derailed a little bit. Sorry. You're yeah. watching my recommendation air and you're like, you know what would have made this movie a little bit better? <laughs> it's been it. after like Michael just eight Matt Damon. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh my God. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think that's also a, a three-way recommendation recommendation for Yellow Jackets. Well, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. So I, I'll do the. I'll continue with my segue there. I'll go movie TV. I did watch. I got to the theaters on Thursday. I saw Air. This is this is Ben Affleck directed it, and Loki, really great director. He directed Gone Baby Gone, Argo, The Town. Just whenever he's directing something, it, it's usually pretty good. And he's one of the stars of this. Matt Damon is the star of this. And you get Jason Bateman, Chris Messina, Viola Davis, Chris Tucker is here. And this is the origin story of how Michael Jordan signed with Nike. I remember watching The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan documentary that aired in 2020. And this was kind of like a throwaway line in that documentary of, of yeah, yeah, my mom made me take this meeting with Nike. And they basically made a movie out of that, like one sentence in this documentary. And this was the end result. And it's just really well done i didn't know too much so we talked offline uh we were talking about tetris and how like we enjoyed that movie because we didn't know a lot of this stuff and same thing here i'm, I'm always down to learn things and I, I i learned some shit in this movie and got to see some of the you know matt damon ben affleck jason bateman these are guys you know we've all been watching in, in movies for by like the last 30 ish years so and yeah these guys are just cooking and really great movie i would recommend that i think it was like it was short too it was like an hour and excuse me like an hour and 45 minutes and 
yeah, it, it was it was really enjoyable, fun time at the theater, and I would recommend this. And also, I watched the first two episodes of Beef. This is on Netflix, a network uh, streaming service that I've been pretty down on lately, and I'm, I would assume and I'm, I would assume I'm not alone there. But this is a, an A24 production, mm-hmm. starring Stephen Young and Ali Wong, and it's kind of a simple premise that these two get into a little, a little road rage incident and she's kind of uh she's kind of unhappy in her job but she's very well off with, with her family and steven young is kind of like a down on his luck not like a loser per se but doesn't have a lot of money like things aren't going right for him and they they he does feel slighted by this road rage incident and like things just kind of like escalate and it's a very simple concept. And I, I've only seen the first two, so I don't know where it's going. It, it's 10 episodes. I know a lot of people are talking about the show. A lot of people, I, I would know a lot of people who watched the whole thing over the weekend. I don't really operate that way. So I'll, I'll, I'll spread it out a little bit. And I, either of you watch this or is on your radar? I've only heard good things. Like I keep hearing people speak about it positively. I haven't watched it. I intend to, um, but yeah, not yet. I, I, I too have been a little kind of cool on Netflix lately. My whole family's mad at me that they can't piggyback off my account anymore. So <laughs> it's been a little lower on my priority list, but yeah, this one will, this we'll watch this eventually. It's everybody says it's great. Okay. Yeah, I just threw it in my list because aren't the episodes like 30 or 40 minutes each? They're short, yeah. Okay, so yeah. That's the... And that's a, I mean, my attention span is garbage. So <laughs> that's a pretty easy way to win me. <laughs> um, that's, Ted Lasso is like 50 minute episodes now, which I don't mind spending time with these characters. But I I got into the show. They were like 33 minutes. <laughs> and now we're like in an hour long, like basically it's a drama comedy at this point, I would say. And you know, this is what I signed up for, but I'm still here. I'm not going anywhere. But you know, I'm just I'm just pointing it out. Apple. I, this is this is amusing that I I not amusing like funny, but a space musing that I wanted to see if you guys had heard anything. I'm hearing that this might not really be the last season of Ted Lasso. Do you is there any like rumbling about that or like that they're gonna do a pretty like linear spin-off? I think this is the end of Ted Lasso. I think this is the end of Jason Sudeikis. Mm-hmm. As Ted Lasso, but if they did a Roy Kent spinoff, that's what I'm wondering because that would explain the longer episodes too. Is if there's stories that they're trying to wrap up and everything. That's I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of outside of Lasso. There's a lot of really good characters in the show. They could easily do like a Coach Beard spinoff, or they they have options. Yeah, for sure. Also, I mean, we've all seen networks and streaming services be like, "Oh, limited series. We meant as many (laughs) seasons as we can possibly make while it's money." Yeah. And this is such, yeah. I don't think they intended that this was going to be such a big property for them. This is probably their, their signature show at this point, And they're ending it at season three. It's not like HBO where it's like we could end succession, but we have all this other stuff. We have house of the dragon. And it's, ex- still, it's such a shame though. Cause like Karen, you were just saying like Apple has been your go-to and every time someone is like, Oh, I just got my Apple like free trial. Like what should I watch? And I name like six shows and they're like, Oh, maybe. And I'm like, no, trust me. Like everything I do, almost yeah. is gold. Even if I, even like, I mean, I haven't tuned into everything, but everything that I have thought I've wanted to watch has been excellent. Totally. Even the movies. So, yeah. absolutely, they did Tetris. I mean, yeah, that was great. Yeah. That was great. But they also they did the Oscar winner last year of uh, Coda. Oh yeah, yeah, they did, didn't they? And uh, it, you know, people can debate whether or not it should have won, but either way, it's still a good movie. Yeah, and and like things like Severance, which is oh so good yeah. for all for all mankind is forever not yeah, watching. Yeah, yeah. Dave, we're gonna get you an Apple TV sponsorship. We're working on it. Yeah. I I keep <laughs> calling them, but they haven't returned my emails. And okay, if well, people we want... even watched Bad Sisters, it was so good. <laughs> if people even want a smaller commitment, the <laughs> Oscar-winning best animated short is on Apple Plus, and it is based on a children's story, and it is like the most I have. It was like 20 minutes and I've, I felt so good after watching it. Like I just emotionally felt whole. What was it called again? Oh man. It's like the boy, the mole, the fox. The yes. Dog. I, I know exactly what we're talking about, yeah. but I don't know what it's called. It, it's long. It starts with the boy. There's a fox and a mole and some other things. You'll feel animals. <laughs> just Google Apple and some other stuff. You'll get there. But <laughs> it's, I just, I don't know. I absolutely felt like my soul was whole again after watching this. <laughs> 20 minute like children's story that was like depicted on screen i was like Ooh, and yeah 
the moral of the story is even though you got this subscription for free with your smartwatch, it is yeah. actually a fantastic service and you should watch stuff on yeah. it. <laughs> Not reruns of things you already know and love. <laughs> yeah. Try something new. Yes. <laughs> Corinne, where can we follow you? Uh, well, still clinging on to Twitter. It is at cdubs26. Um, we'll see if anybody has some good Twitter alternatives. Hit me up. Uh, I have an Instagram that I never use, and I am fairly active on the movies and TV page on Facebook that Dave will plug in a second. Excellent. Jamie, how about you? Yeah, also on Twitter uh, at N-J-A-Y-M-E. And you can also find me on my blog, watchingthewasteland.com, which has not been a wasteland this year, thankfully. Uh, There are a couple new posts if you are checking it out in sort of this real time if not it may have lapsed i'm sorry <laughs> i check it i i will admit i'm a semi bad friend because i check it out every time i i edit the show notes and I'm, mm-hmm. I, I put the website in there i'm like oh let me see what she's been up to so i check every time we do a podcast together i'm, I'm on fair. your website yeah. i'm a semi bad listener of this podcast so <laughs> <laughs> okay. we're fair. even <laughs> also in the facebook group that dave will plug all right and i am the same handle at ddem2000 that's Instagram, Letterboxd, and Twitter. And we have an Instagram and Twitter for the show at Was It That Bad Pod and the aforementioned movie group that we talked about, movie and television talk. You can just type that into a group search on Facebook and we're the red cover photo. We are off next week. We are going to be coming back in two weeks to talk about The Departed. So I'm excited for that one. It's kind of a big movie there. Excited to be either of you see that one i'm guessing or is that on your is that on your big list corinne eventually i am going to just take a saturday and watch all of the mafia style type movies that i okay i i so my short answer is no i have not seen it but yes i would like to okay (laughs) (laughs) all right very it's a very good movie I'm, i'm excited to be talking about it jamie i think you've seen it i did see it it was fine it's not my jam okay i i I was it's in that well yeah one is not my jam two it's i just checked it's two and a half hours long which is <laughs> yeah. a rough lot. i have to i mean to bring it back to edgar right for a minute it seems like most of his movies are two hours or less and i just yeah. want to give him kudos for like directing the hell out of things to tell a, a story in a digestible amount of time so you're not a big scorsese person you're not going to be seeing flowers of the killer moon which I is will. three hours and 45 well, minutes i read that book okay Three hours and 45 minutes, the movie is. It took took me longer than that to read the book. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I may or may not. Having already read it, maybe I'll keep those three and a half hours to myself, but (laughs) it is a really great story, so we'll see. If there are parents of small children who want to give me tips on how to watch dramas, because that's my problem. Everything I watch is at 8.30 at night or later. And so I'm not putting on The Departed at 9 o'clock at night. It's just not going to work. So <laughs> I need tips. I don't know. I, and, I, that's my problem. NPR did a whole thing of like how you can be a better movie watcher. And they're like, if you're going to watch at home, they're like, get yourself snacks. Like, get yourself, like, like I'm, treat yourself to make it like, I'm like, I'm going to be eating so many snacks if it's called staying awake for three hours. Like, exactly. I'm pro Netflix did this. They did a like a, a director's cut of the Hateful Eight, the Quentin Tarantino movie that was like three hours long, but they broke it down in the four forty-five minute sections okay. with the additional footage there. And I wound up just watching that. And I don't know if they should do that for like all movies, but I, I enjoyed it. I don't think a lot of filmmakers necessarily want their movies to be shown that way. But for this particular instance, I don't know if I was ever gonna sit down and watch this tarantino movie that i didn't like as much as uh, his other films again but i was like all right let me check this out see what and it was cool is it any real difference though to be like okay we're gonna make four or three arbitrary cuts that obviously if you just let it play it's going to be a seamless experience you're not gonna be like whoa what has happened but like yeah i mean corinne you and i both watched baby driver on tv our off cable tv (laughs) well it did say that was like edited for time and content and i'm like I'm sure directors and filmmakers don't love that either. So <laughs> I can't imagine Netflix slotting some three quick breaks in there really was like as disruptive as commercials and <laughs> who knows what scenes you and I actually did not see. True. But like, is, if the option is that or nothing, like maybe oh. I do need to sit and watch Goodfellas over four nights, you know? <laughs> I honestly, and this is terrible, but 
age time whatever it's like i will watch half a movie and then just turn off and pick it back up the next day like i think i don't what did i do that with the av it was being a scorsese i did that with the aviator oh that's a lot it was like a little over three hours not my favorite drive my car was a three-night experience okay that that i saw in theaters and i was i kept falling asleep and having to take it back to be like okay i didn't remember this conversation let's go absolutely could not have watched that at home Foreign films are foreign films are tough in yeah. general, but like at home when it, my phone's near me or like I think my the favorite my favorite foreign films I've seen all were coincidentally in theaters because I mm-hmm. couldn't just grab my phone yeah. and play or go yeah. on my laptop. Well, even I watched Dune at home, and that was not how Dune was intended. No, um, yeah. because a I do not have a cinematic experience in my living room, <laughs> and b it's dark. And see when I'm horizontal, it doesn't matter what's on the screen. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, on that note, Corinne, Jamie, thanks so much for joining me again. Always great to talk to both of you. All right. Thanks, Dave. You got it. And thank you, everybody, for listening. We will catch you all next time. Night, everyone.